0: Welcome to the Miko Pellet
1: Hour. I'm Miko Pellet, your host. Happy New Year. Um, I had a rare opportunity to spend the New Year's uh, Eve, uh, the evening of New Year's Eve, at a great event at Busboys and Poets, which uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Um, Andy Shalal created this wonderful space for us, a whole bunch of spaces for us here in Washington, D.C., and at the uh, location I was at on 14th Street, there was open mic and it was a great event, a great evening, people expressing themselves on a whole variety of different issues in a space that is safe and, and tolerant and, um, and very, very mixed. So that was beautiful. There was a lot of poetry, a lot of emotion, a lot of politics, which, of course, I like and so on. So I want to thank Andy, who preceded me with his show just now. For creating that great space for us. Um, in case you don't know who I am, I am Nico Pellid I am an activist and writer. My main issue is Palestine. I was born and raised in Palestine, in Jerusalem. And um, I have written two books. One is The General Son, Journey of an Israeli in Palestine, which is the memoir, my memoir, but the story of my family as it relates to Palestine. And Injustice, the story of the Holy Land Foundation Five. So those two books are available for anybody who's interested. I also had a career in martial arts and I decided to just start teaching once again. So I have a small class, kids class, that I started teaching here in Adams Morgan. So if anybody's interested in that, it's capitalkarate.org. You can find out information about that as well. I'm really excited. My guest needs a little introduction. Uh, It's Jill Stein, Dr. Jill Stein, who has made a decision to run again for president as a candidate uh, for the Green Party. She's run before Um, she is she was one of two main reasons that I decided to join the Green Party when I did several years ago. The other reason was the Green Party's platform on Palestine, which is probably the most progressive. And I believe the one that's the most in touch with the issue of Palestine than any Green Party in the world and certainly any party here in the United States. And I think she's a wonderful candidate. I was very happy to see that she's running again. And I asked her to join me so we can talk about why she's running and what are the issues um, that she cares about most. And and maybe even more importantly, why should people vote for her for president? And one of the comments that comes up or has come up when I told people I was going to be interviewing her for this program was... um, Maybe the most common one, which is why not vote for the worst of two evils? In other words, why not vote for Biden when we know that if we don't vote for Biden, we're going to get Trump or somebody like Trump? And I think uh, hearing this from her is going to be extremely important. I've made my decision. I mean, I'm not here to endorse political candidates, but I like Jill. I believe in her. And, you know, she's going to be my choice. But I think it's important for everybody to hear what she has to say. So Jill, thank you so much for joining me, for taking the time on this New Year's Day. Um, We are pre-recording. It's no secret, so thank you for joining me. And um, let's start with the first most obvious question. Why are you doing this again? Why are you running again?
0: We're in a lot of trouble, (laughs) put it that way. And the American people, are saying, it's time for a change, it's time for a deep change. And we're seeing that all over the place in the uprising of working people, in young people who are swamped in debt, in the unbelievable economic disparities, which are actually worse now. Racial disparities are actually worse uh, than they were back in in 1960. The disparity between the income of a white family or a Black family is bigger now than it has been, you know, in in this, well, more than this century, you know, like in the last 60 years, basically. You know, things are going terribly off the rails. And here we are with these two zombie candidates that people don't want. They didn't want them first time around, and they even don't want them more now. Just look at the poll numbers. You know, People are screaming for other choices. It's the highest it's ever been since Gallup has been following this. Somewhere around 63% of voters are now saying, give me something else. I don't want to vote for these two parties that are throwing us under the bus.
1: But at the end of the day, isn't isn't it at the end of the day, isn't going to be a choice between those two candidates and isn't giving a vote to you, throwing away a vote that could save us from the, you know, what people fear so much is a Trump comeback.
0: Well, You know, that's what the powers that be would like us to believe. That's certainly the talking points of the DNC. But to look at the polls, that's not what they say, because you see people who are actually so angry at uh, Biden for having misled us, for having promised Wall Street that nothing would change. And in fact, nothing has changed. Disparities just get worse. Inflation just gets worse. The cost of living just continues to skyrocket. And, you know, Joe Biden reactivated student debt when he didn't need to and when people absolutely couldn't afford it. Uh, we have Biden who ran on the promise that immigration policy was going to get much better, but it, it basically has not changed uh, whatsoever, not in any important way. Uh, we are squandering uh a trillion dollars a year when you add up the various categories of the budget, we're squandering a trillion dollars a year on endless wars that make us less safe, that don't make us more safe. So, you know, the Democrats have thoroughly failed. In fact, they're leading the charge now in areas where they used to be considered the lesser evil. They're now arguably the greater evil in leading us into war, nuclear weapons, uh, genocide, Censorship, authoritarianism, you know, it's every bit as bad from the Democrats. So it's really important not to accept the propaganda that tells you you are powerless and that tells you you have no choice that is an extremely anti-democratic notion that you don't have a right to choose and in fact to look at polls voters are very clear they want other choices especially if it's the same old same old being rammed down our throats so i'd but say don't the let day, the dnc define this for you i'd say stand day, up for yourself
1: but at the end of the day we are america is a two party system and granted both parties are you know two sides two heads of the same monster Um, The question
0: is, do we do we want to accept that? Because we really don't have a future right now. You know, to look at the economy, which is basically crashing and burning for working people. uh, Over 60 percent of uh, workers now are living uh, paycheck to paycheck. Half of people who are renting their their, uh, you know, their their place to live are severely economically stressed right now. Uh, You have 44 million uh, young people and not so young people who are trapped into student debt, a hundred million in medical debt. You know the numbers of people who are saying they're not going to vote uh, is off the charts right now. And this is a myth that you know the Democrats own your vote or. Donald Trump owns your vote, they don't own your vote. They have to earn your vote. And the powers that be want you to believe that your vote is being owned, but in fact, it's not. And this is about us empowering ourselves to rescue our future, because right now we don't have a future. Our future right now is debt, it's evictions, which are skyrocketing, homelessness is at a higher rate than it's ever been. We are the wealthiest country in the world, throughout all of history, yet you know it's just shocking the skyrocketing numbers of poverty. You know, you have a Congress now uh, with the two parties directing it and and the White House that basically won't renew the um, uh, the child um, the child poverty tax credit. So you have numbers of children in poverty that have doubled so that we can spend $140 billion now on a war in Ukraine and supporting the economy in Ukraine while tens of millions are going without housing and food and health care in this country. It is outrageous. And if we don't shut it down, you can be sure that's more of what you're going to get.
1: Right. And your point is, I mean, it is well taken. I mean, the richest country in the world and tens of millions of children go to bed hungry each night, which is which is unfathomable. And people are sleeping in the streets and, you know, in all the big cities and so on. So, I mean, this is this is obviously it's 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 glaring at us. But I want to go back. I want to push you some more on this issue. And, you know, what Ralph Nader was blamed for the George Bush uh, victory.
0: Which was also nonsense because of he was course, one five. I, agree. I want to hear
1: that from you, but it's still out there. People are still saying this. People who well, are progressive it depends still who you're listening are to. still are still blaming him for that.
0: It depends who you're listening to. If you're li- if you're inside the circles of power, and especially if you're in Washington D.C., you know you are going to hear the uh, the echo chamber of oligarchy and the paid off politicians who are in bed with their big donors. That's what you're going to hear. That's what you're going to hear if you're listening to mainstream media. But you know what? Fewer and fewer people, especially under thirty-five, are listening to that. We've just barely come out of the starting gate, and already our campaign is at ten percent among uh, people under thirty-five. So that? What does that you, don't mean? Have, you don't have to convince people whose lives are being ruined. What does this ten really percent? that? What does that
1: mean? Does that mean this ten percent that you just that you just mentioned?
0: Oh, we're running ten uh, percent in the polls as to first choice for a presidential candidate. Uh, segregated, you know, or sectioned by age. So if you look at people who are under 35, who are really a bellwether for the way the wind is blowing, Mm -hmm. and also the way that trends are going over the years, Already we are at 10%. We're at 9% actually among the uh, African-American community as well, having had virtually no coverage whatsoever and only having just begun. So my point is, don't lie down on the railroad tracks. The train is coming and it's coming for you. There is a very powerful rebellion that's going on right now. It's in full swing. And we have nothing to lose because it's B.S. that Trump is the worst option than Biden. The differences are slimmer than ever and arguably on many issues. It's actually the Democrats who are the greater evil. If you're looking at nuclear weapons, if you're looking at genocide, what is there worse you know, than than uh, genocide and militarism? That's just gone totally off the rails. And it's the Democrats now who are leaving leading the charge and who vote unanimously Uh, for these uh, accelerating military budgets while tens of millions of people are going without, you know, food, without health care and whose housing is very much at risk. You know, it's like three million people were evicted last year. Those numbers are skyrocketing. Are we going to say that that's okay? The powers that be are working overtime to convince you that you have no choice. Because if you think you have no choice, then you do have no choice. But the reality is that you very much do have a choice. And to look at the polls, you not only have a choice, but you also have the wind at your back. And this is the time for us to stand up because we are on a launching pad right now for oblivion. And, you know, whether you're looking at health care, whether you're looking at our jobs, Inflation, war, the risk of nuclear weapons, uh, the climate crisis, uh, housing, you know, it's all in the tank and it's getting worse. It's not getting better. And if you believe that you have no choice except to accept that you're screwed, well, then I have a bridge in Brooklyn that I'd like to sell you. So I wanna,
1: I wanna, I wanna put one more, I'm gonna push on this one more time, just on one more issue which is, you know, the things that scare people the most is that Trump coming back is a guarantee for full fascism. It means judicial nominations, environment, things going far worse than they would under Biden.
0: Yeah, well, that's exactly the the point.
1: And the fear is that not voting for Biden uh, is going to make things so much worse by having him on these particular issues. And of course, immigration, we and I talked about asylum seekers, which is you know, and, and th- these are issues that that touch real people's you know lives. Of course, healthcare and so on. You touched on, but isn't there is is this fear? N- what should people do with this fear? I mean, the sense that a uh, uh, Trump comeback, or even if it's not Trump, even if it's Nikki Haley. I don't know who it's going to be Trump might be in jail, but it, if it's if it's one of those people, then the march to fascism is going to be much more direct and and much faster.
0: So let me say it's very rich. For the party which is leading the charge on genocide to be screaming about the other party being fascist. We have two fascist parties right now. And I'd say it's really important to reject their propaganda and to actually look at the facts on the ground. Because you don't get much more fascist than conducting a a uh, uh, a, a genocidal war, which is what's going on right now in Israel and um uh, and and Palestine, and likewise, you know, the war in Ukraine was absolutely avoidable. It's a horrific and illegal criminal war, but it could have been avoided. It could have been stopped one month into the program. You know, it's really important not to just take the propaganda of the uh, powers that be at face value. On judicial nominations, well, remember this. This was the big issue uh, back in 2016. It was, oh, the Supreme Court. Well, why, you know, because of especially because of women's right to choose. Well, the Democrats had sixty years to codify uh, that that ruling, the Supreme Court ruling. They had sixty years to write it into law, and they had several administrations where they could have overridden any veto or,, uh, you know,, uh, where they could have pushed through, and codified Roe v. Wade to ensure that women would have the right to choose, and this wouldn't be subject to a judicial uh, appeal. Likewise, looking at, at uh, court nominations, you have collaboration of the Democrats who have just rubber stamped the uh, Republican nominations for the courts of appeals and the, uh, and the federal courts too. So the Democrats want you to think it's a Republican problem, but very often Uh, it's actually mostly a Democrat problem. And let me talk about climate for one minute, because we hear all the time about the terrible things that Trump and the Republicans are doing, and that's certainly true. But you're not seeing what's going on under the surface. You scratch the surface of the Democrats' policies, and they're basically about as bad. Uh, Right now, Joe Biden is in the process of ramming through 22 new LNG export facilities. Those facilities don't count on the special roster of climate emissions because they're being- What, are, what, is LNG?
1: what does LNG stand for?
0: Oh, okay, so LNG, that's like natural gas. That's mm-hmm. like how, we, how lots of people heat their homes. And it's also a thing called methane, which is very, very toxic for the climate. It's way worse than, burning other kinds of fossil fuels um, if, it's, if it's emitted to the atmosphere. So it's a big climate change gas. And the Democrats are in the process of, of approving 22 of these. And if those emissions get counted, its impact on the climate, if it were to be counted and conveniently it's not counted, just like our uh, emissions in conducting war and the military, those don't get counted either. Conveniently, they are not counted. But if you were to count these new LNG, liquid natural gas or methane plants that are being uh, approved by the Biden administration, they're not all approved yet, but they are on their way. If those were actually counted, in the emissions uh, tally, we would be knocked back to the year 2005. Not only are we not making progress, but it actually reverses all the progress of the last 20 years. So, you know, and Joe Biden, who promised there would be no Um, fossil fuel extraction on public lands, no further sales and auctions of public lands. That's baloney. This big so-called climate bill that they passed, the Inflation Reduction Act, it actually requires there to be 60 million acres of offshore water that's given over to auction for fossil fuels. 60 acres every year, for 10 years before any major projects can be done on renewable energy. So if you actually dig below the hype, this is garbage. This is like Obama's all of the above. All of the above doesn't help the climate, not one bit. Renewable energy by itself doesn't do it. You actually have to eliminate Mm -hmm. fossil fuels, and make a complete transition. So the point is here, if you start actually looking at the facts on the ground, this is BS. And don't let them scare you. This is about extortion. This is about extorting your vote based on fear campaigns and smear campaigns. Just look at your life And people who aren't subject to this 24 seven wall to wall propaganda, they have no question that they are moving on. And we're seeing this from people all over the place, especially people who are younger and have no future to look forward to.
1: Well, if you're just joining us now, you're listening to the Miko Pellet Hour. I'm Miko Pellet and I'm in conversation with Dr. Jill Stein, who is running for president uh, for the Green Party. Um, we're going to be talking about a lot of issues, uh, or as many as we can cover in this hour. Um, I think we should talk about how minorities feel about the possibility of, uh, of uh, a Trump comeback and what it would mean to give you the vote. I want to talk about Cuba, and of course, you keep you mentioned the word named the word genocide several times, and you and I I think agree that we're talking about what is taking place in Palestine. So. You know, if you're if you're listening, if, if, if anybody who is listening right now is African-American or has uh, come from, you know, any any part of Latin America, um, it's scary. The thought of, of, of Trump with his vitriol, which is with, with his rhetoric and with his policies, I can't imagine how, how terrifying that must be. And I don't know what people tell their children when this when this, uh, you know, when there's this possibility of this man returning or somebody like him. Again, he might be in jail. Hopefully he will be. But there might be somebody else coming instead. So what do you say to people who are, uh, you know, minorities who are, you know, or or, or Native Americans and so on? What do you say to people like that? Why should they give the vote uh, rather than give a vote that would guarantee that would, you know, save them from seeing Trump return, uh, give the votes to you.
0: So, Mikko, I don't know where you're getting your information from, but you're basically regurgitating the Democratic Party uh, talking points, and they are not consistent with the facts, unfortunately, (laughs) because if you look at the polls, you see people are screaming and running with their hair on fire away from the Democratic Party, which is why the Democratic Party is once again freaking out, and once again, it is trying to smear every opposition candidate out there. It is trying to throw us off the ballot and use basically dirty tricks, which is What they always do. You know, this is nonsense. In 2016, the people who voted for me were not Hillary Clinton voters. That's absolute nonsense. These are people who had already thrown in the towel on a party that has thrown in the towel on people of color. Remember, things are getting worse. They're not getting better. If you are a person of color, your income is being pushed down relative to the white community right now. It's uh, roughly about 10% uh, of, if you're in a Black family, your income is about 10% of a white family's income. And this is far worse than it was even 60 years ago. So things are getting worse. And how are they getting worse? Because the Democrats tell you, oh, we're better than the Republicans, so you have to vote for us. Don't Let your vote be taken for granted. Candidates have to earn your vote. They don't own your vote. And as I said, if you look at the facts on the ground, the Democrats are not better. And we're seeing people make these decisions based on their experience. They don't need some politician to uh, instruct them or to teach them about what's happening under Biden or even what happened under Barack Obama. You know, an African-American president uh, who was, you know, it was great to have an African-American president, but he gave away the store to Wall Street. And a lot of progressive voters at that time began to switch over to Trump. In fact, here's probably the most instructive election of all. This was after the Wall Street bailouts, you know, when the economy crashed, thanks to Bill Clinton and his treasurer, Larry Summers, who basically gave away the store to Wall Street? They deregulated the Wall Street banks, and and they went. The banks went crazy on their predatory mortgages, and people got screwed. Who really got screwed? Above all, it was the African American community who got screwed, and uh, whose income just went into the tank with the Wall Street bailouts. And, uh, and the housing crisis. About seven, eight million homeowners were thrown out of their homes. And what did Obama and the two Democratic houses of Congress decide to do? They bailed out Wall Street. They threw out homeowners and they bailed out Wall Street. What happened in the next election? There was no third party to blame it on, but the Democrats lost 1,000 seats in state houses across the country. They lost 64 congressional seats in the U.S. Congress, and they lost 12 seats in the Senate, and they lost 13 governorships. That's what a spoiled election is about, and the Democrats have spoiled it for themselves. They try to blame it on their competition because they are scared Uh, I won't say the word they are quaking in their boots about their competition because people have had enough and they rely on uh, on their own useful idiots to parrot this through the media so that people get the message all over the place. Oh, we don't dare eat a peach. We don't dare stand up for ourselves even though we are losing our homes and our healthcare and our lives and we're locked into debt. Don't you dare vote for yourself. Well, reject that. We need to stand up with the courage of our convictions because if ever there was a tipping point, we are at that tipping point right now. People are in rebellion and they are in a political rebellion. This is the time to stand up and use our democratic rights and say to the politicians who want to keep you under their thumb to say to them that uh, they have to earn your vote. They don't own your vote, and to look at their policies of the last several decades, they are not earning your vote. They are throwing you under the bus.
1: Now, um, if somebody does want to vote for a third party candidate, there's more than one, and so which which is which I have to admit is baffling. I mean, I, I you know I, I grew up I grew up with the parliamentary system as an Israeli. And so they've got a thousand political parties and, uh, you know, it's chaos and there's always negotiating and so forth, but in America, that doesn't exist. So now we've got the two main parties. Um, and then you've got several smaller p- parties that are running as third party candidates. How do you, how do you choose? I mean, you know, Dr. West is, uh, obviously has a, has a name and, and a reputation and people like him a lot. Um, I think there might be a few others, but, um, what uh, I mean, as 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 progressives, as as people who are, um, you know, dedicated to to left values, how do we reconcile? Where do we go? As a consumer, so, as a voter.
0: Sure. So, just to be really straightforward, there are three candidates who basically have the same agenda. Our agenda is essentially identical with Cornell West's agenda and is basically the same pretty much as far as I can see with uh, a small socialist party called the Party of Socialism and Liberation, usually abbreviated PSL. And um, uh, they have a wonderful candidate, Claudia de la Cruz, who's running. And uh, all of these candidates to my mind are wonderful. Here's the difference between them the greens will get on the ballot in just about every state and if all goes according to plan we will be on the ballot for every voter the other two will not why? And why can you explain that okay so this is another kind of dirty trick used by the democratic and republican parties because they are the big kids you know in in the schoolyard they're the bullies in the schoolyard so they write the rules to make it very, very difficult for any competitor to get on the ballot and actually provide a real choice. They want to deny you your choices. Now, why would they be doing that? Because they're very worried that if you actually have freedom of choice, you are not going to choose them because they they have a different master. They have a corporate master. They right. take big money from very deep pockets, the war industry, you know, the uh, big pharma, the health insurance industry, fossil fuels, the banks and financial services, the usual suspects. That's who their true master is. And they just give us uh the lip service. So they're very nervous about our being on the ballot. RFK might get on the ballot, but he's not yet. I mean, right now we are on the we have 75% of the work done to be on the ballot all across the country now. It's half of the states approximately but that half includes some of the biggest, most difficult and expensive states. So the Greens are already there. Uh, the other candidates are not. Uh, Dr. West is on one, one ballot in one small state and uh, Claudia is um, probably going to be on in California, but that may be it. So if you're looking for a candidate with a great message, you've got three of them. And candidates who are, you know, really dynamite uh, messengers. You've got three of them. But if you're looking for a candidate who can actually fight the empire, who can actually get on the ballot and contest for power, not be a message campaign, but actually be a real campaign that can not only win power, but can push the envelope on our policies. As Frederick Douglass said, Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never has and it never will. You have to be on the ballot if you're going to make that demand. Otherwise, they can just, you know, you're just water that runs off their back. You don't have any traction if you can't compete with them for votes. And if you're not in the election dialogue, in order to do that, you got to be on the ballot. Right now, we are the only people-powered campaign, the only pro-worker, anti-war Climate emergency campaign that is heading for full ballot access and a real fight uh, contesting for power with empire and oligarchy. We are that alternative.
1: What would it take? What would it take to get these three candidates uh, all together as a coalition to run together?
0: Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, we've extended a. Um, you know, an invitation to Dr. West to consider uh, running with a joint ticket. So far, he's saying no, um, because he has a powerful solo voice. But is there are
1: there certain conditions that need to be met? Uh, I mean, if the three of you were to run together, is there a scenario? Is there a platform? Is there?
0: Oh, absolutely. And well, put a, it this what, way: what, what, I what think our think? platforms our platforms are already consistent.
1: So, what do you um, think? It was, what do you think is preventing that?
0: Um. I think potentially in the cards if the candidates are willing and we are in the process of reaching out to see who's willing. I know that, um, you know, there are various organizations that are trying to get us together and have debates. And we've said, hey, we'll be there. We think at the end of the day, this is all about coalitions. This is about bringing our groups and our parties together. We need a broad progressive coalition. We're there. And in past elections, we have been very active in building coalitions. So we're still doing that, but not everybody wants to do that. We'll see what happens. Um, and we have put out a uh, an appeal to Dr. West already. You know, in fact, I was his campaign manager at the outset. He initially started with the People's Party, mm-hmm. and then he decided that wasn't going to work. And we opened our ballot lines to him and basically gave him millions of dollars worth of ballot lines. And then he decided that he preferred to run solo. So that's how that happened. Uh, It's hard. It's very hard to build a relationship with a political party in the heat of the fire. I had to run for office several times as a green before I could figure out how does this actually work? You know, How do you as a candidate work with the party? Um, they all have their own rules and their own structures, and it's a complicated thing. But after about three elections, I finally figured out how to do it. So I don't fault Dr. West in the least for deciding that it was just more straightforward. It's his first run. He's never run for any office. So it's really remarkable that he's able to do this. He's a fabulous spokesperson and his voice really, you know, elevates the race. So it's, it's a wonderful thing. Yes. I think we should get together and I'm trying to find ways to do that, but not everybody wants to get together get together. At the end of the day, we are the ones who are going to be on the ballot. So it would certainly behoove other candidates to work with us.
1: On this thought, we're going to take a break. This is the Miko Pellet Hour. We're talking to, um, Dr. Jill Stein, who's running for president, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, this is the Miko Pellet Hour. I'm Miko Pellet, your host, and I am speaking with Dr. Jill Stein, running for president uh, for the Green Party, not for the first time. Um, Let's talk, you you know, you and I discussed, um, I have, uh, my son is very much involved in immigration issues and asylum seekers. And he expressed, you know, a great deal of concern about um, not that there's any doubt that voting for you uh, and your platform is is uh, is justified, but except for the issue of again that that opens the door to uh, to the you know Trump monstrosity. And I remember too; I mean, I remember living when I was living in California. Friends of mine who were who uh, who came in from Latin America and their kids would listen to Trump. And would be terrified. Well, lots
0: of Latinos now are actually moving over to Trump because they're so pissed at Biden. And the same is true, you know, in the um, in the Muslim community. So that just doesn't hold. It's just not true. And you are hearing the echoes of the propaganda that the Democrats have always relied on in order to extort your vote. That's what's going on here. This is extortion. I'd say pay attention. Look at the facts on the ground. If you read what the immigration and the uh, asylum uh, advocacy groups are saying, it's like Biden did not deliver. He completely betrayed the agenda that he promised. And now he's he's negotiating for even worse uh, in order to get his Ukraine funding through uh through congress and let me just say that both parties are absolutely lunatic um Maybe I shouldn't use that word, but they're just, you know, they're violent and they're vile on the whole issue of immigration. The thought that we should be punishing people who are coming to this country because they've been forced to flee by the policies of the Democrats and Republicans, which have created warring camps all over, you know, all over the world, basically. We have sent our military into 250 different interventions in just the last 30 years. So if you look at where the immigrants are streaming out of, you know, it's El Salvador, it's Honduras, it's the places where, um, you know, where uh, we have really intervened and Guatemala, for example, you know, where we've created just these human rights abuses and these horrific militarized dictatorships that have left a long standing trail of violence that's what's driving immigration so well that's one of the things and then you have kind of uh, uh, sanctions that are imposed on cuba on nicaragua on venezuela and are driving a whole stream of immigrants from the economic chaos uh, resulting in very large measure from our economic sanctions which are unjust and illegal and then you have the climate crisis which is also driving huge migrations. And the UN now predicts that there may be a billion climate migrants by the time we get to 2050, which is not so very far away. So people who are worried about substantive issues and the welfare of immigrants, you know, you're barking up the wrong tree to think that Democrats or Republicans are going to fix this for you. We need actual transformative change in the same way that we also do on our military policies, because Both parties right now, this is one thing they can agree on and they try to outdo each other on who can spend more on, you know, this uh, this war heading towards, you know, or this Cold War that's in the process of turning hot, like with China or, you know, the hot war that's actually going on now in Ukraine, which we laid the groundwork for really for decades by pushing NATO to the east, which we promised we would not do. You know, this was totally predictable and absolutely predicted. And every step of the way, Russia was saying, here's the agreement. Will you just agree for Ukraine to be neutral, essentially, for it to be neutral like like Austria? This wasn't like rocket science. And in fact, this was incorporated into um, uh, the Accords. I forget what it was called, but there was a treaty before the war that fell apart, in part because the U.S. opposed it, as did its vassals in the U.K., and so it turned out to be a sham. But it's not rocket science how to solve these problems. But We cannot continue to be ruled by empire and oligarchy and think that we are going to get out of here alive. Student debt, which Joe Biden just reactivated, he didn't need to, but he voluntarily went ahead and forced the payments to be... Uh, conducted again. Trump had suspended them and Biden brought them back on. So, you know, this is the problem that the Democrats have in that Trump is not fitting into the worst case scenario. In some cases, it's actually Biden. But 40 percent of students in debt defaulted on their first payment because they can't pay it. They don't have the jobs. They don't have families. They don't have a place to live. They don't have a future. And guess what? They know it. They are in rebellion. It's just a question of how long it's going to take, because the parties of empire and oligarchy are not changing their ways. They have made that absolutely painfully clear. And as Frederick Douglass said, power concedes nothing without that demand. If, I'd love if to the see people who is. are being slaughtered on this front do not stand up for themselves, it's going to really drag the whole rebellion down. There are a lot of people, including African-Americans and Latinos right now, who are leading the way. And the, um, the fortunate, well-educated uh, advocacy community needs to get with the leadership in the community that they're serving and actually stand up on their behalf and not compromise their future. I'd love to see
1: you on the debate stage with some of these uh, with these people. You know, I have this I, I I have this premonition. I think Liz Cheney, if she's not going to run this time, she's probably going to be a candidate for president soon. And I think the debate between you and her would be a would be a very a, a very good thing for Americans to see because I think she represents this, you know, slightly slightly right to uh, Mussolini kind of uh, state of mind. And you bring forward this, uh, you know, this sanity and clarity. So I think um, I, I I have a feeling she's going to be she's going to be because uh, if she if she ran, I think she would beat any any Republican and probably any Democrat. Um, I want to and talk and I'll
0: about this underscore that there are very interesting dynamics here because RFK, you know, has adopted a very. Um, militaristic policy on the Middle East um, and who is not standing up for workers' rights or health care. I mean, he's full of flowery language, which now mostly boils down to, I'm a Kennedy, I can bring people together, take my word for it, you know, but the policies aren't there. So, you know, he's going to draw, it's now evident in the polls that he's drawing from Trump. And then you may have uh, no labels in there, which may also be drawing that they're a corporate front group. They're funded by big money, basically, very deep pockets and, and billionaires. Uh, they are likely to draw from both parties, but especially from the Republicans. So you may have the corporate um, uh, the corporate suits all drawing down on their vote and leaving the progressive vote, which is a majoritarian vote. If we stand up with the courage of our convictions, we actually have a majority who want living wages, the right to form a union, health care is a human right, uh, a uh, a true security policy that makes us more secure, not less secure, not giving away the store to the, um, uh, the war profiteers. People are
1: not afraid to, of the word socialism. That's the other thing. I mean, people have grown afraid of the word socialism. But I want to move on. Have to-
0: grown afraid or have grown unafraid? Because Bernie... Uh, you know, you from the from the suits in D.C. You're going to hear that they're afraid. But if you actually look at the polls among people, socialism is a popular word. It's way yeah. more popular than Congress. You know, yeah. and Congress is owned right now by APAC, which is yeah. not popular whatsoever. So I'd say if you're living in D.C., it's really important to turn your filters on. Otherwise, you just become a um, you know kind of a servant of the propaganda.
1: Yeah. Well I want to talk about Cuba and I want to talk about Palestine and it's there's an interesting dynamic with those two with those two issues because as an American you're supposed to hate Cuba and love Israel whereas I think if you're paying attention it should be the other way around and so I was just I I went to Cuba the summer and um you know they' they look back at the Obama years of course the good old days and they were they like suffering now more than they've suffered ever before. And they stand with their convictions and they're uh they're standing up for Palestine and they're doing all the things that um if they didn't do their situation would be much, much better. But they're but they're standing up to their convictions. Um so I want to talk, I want to hear your thoughts about Cuba, and then I wanna leave time, of course, to talk about Palestine. We'll leave that uh maybe to the last part of the show. If you're joining us now, this is the Miko Pellet Hour. I'm Miko Pellet. And you're listening to my conversation with Dr. Jill Stein, candidate for president for the Green Party. So let's talk about Cuba for a minute. Um, there are a lot of people here in DC that I know, uh, some very serious activists who are very much involved in in uh, on, and care very deeply about Cuba, and want to see the sanctions, uh, you know, uh, canceled and, and 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 you know, Cubans living uh, uh, being allowed to live their lives freely. And also, by the same token, want to see Palestine free. But let's start with Cuba.
0: You know, I don't think there's any rocket science here. You know, this is about just throwing away these uh, old and very counterproductive policies. We've been fighting a people's revolution. In doing that, you kind of force the government to be more authoritarian. This isn't to say Cuba is the perfect government but we're not the perfect government. And who are we to be interfering in Cuba's internal affairs? I mean, we've we've been screaming that Russia should not be interfering with uh, Ukraine. Well, we need to stop interfering with our neighbor who's not interfering with us. You know, when, when Russia tried to place its nuclear missiles in Cuba, we launched our bombs. Our bombs were in the air and uh, JFK, our President Kennedy, and Khrushchev had the good sense to sit down and negotiate and um, basically work it out. And Russia pulled back its missiles, which, by the way, were placed because we had put nuclear missiles in target distance of Moscow. We had uh, missiles in Turkey. And so there was a reciprocal arrangement. We had essentially provoked Russia to put its missiles in Cuba. Anyhow, it got solved. And we need to be into that problem solving mindset right now with regard to Ukraine, but more closer to home, we should be into that problem solving mindset and non interference uh, with Cuba. And Cuba's done some remarkable things. They have a very fabulous healthcare system, everybody has healthcare. They're dirt poor and they're Longevity and their public health statistics, the um, welfare of mothers and infants is better than ours. You know, though we're spending way more on healthcare um, and have all the bells and whistles of a very sophisticated system, but it's got huge holes in it. And there are what, like a hundred and it's 87, 87 million Americans who do not have adequate health care. Uh, either they have no insurance or they have inadequate insurance. And Cuba's doing this for a tiny amount. Cuba manufactured its own um, vaccines, yeah. uh, protected its people pretty well from the uh, from the covid epidemic. So Cuba's doing some wonderful and exemplary things. We need to get out of their way and we need to stop provoking a more authoritarian government by constantly trying to take it down. How many times did we try to assassinate um, Fidel Castro? It's more than you can count, really. Um, we need to back off and- It hasn't worked.
1: It hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. I mean, there's another similarity with Palestine is the- You know, all these all these attempts to bring down the, you know, communists and bring down the communists and it's it's not working. I mean, uh, the Cuban government is is quite stable and it it, it reminds me of Palestine. And I'm going to segue into Palestine now. You know, Israel and the U.S. have been talking about uh, about stopping uh, or bringing down or ending whatever Palestinian resistance is the most famous name at the time. It was different ones. Now it happens to be Hamas. You can't bring it down. It's not working. It's not working as long as there's a problem of oppression and occupation. The Palestinians are not going to resist. If it's not called Hamas, it'll be called something else. If it was it used to be called Fatah, whatever. All the names and the organization might change, but the idea of resistance for people who are uh, seeking liberation will never change. Now, there's still, there are still a lot of people, um, even who are borderline progressive, that see, view Israel as this as a shining light as something that America needs to support. And of course, I, that's to, obviously, in my opinion, complete nonsense. Um, talk a little bit about your thoughts. And again, you and I met, when we met a few years ago, um, we talked about this, and I told you one of the reasons I joined the the, the Green Party was the platform on Palestine, the platform that calls for free, uh, single democracy with equal rights in, on all of historic Palestine, which, to me, is the only recipe to bring about peace between Israelis and Palestinians. But I want to hear your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. So I grew up, you know, a Jew, um, going to Sunday school every Sunday to learn about Reform Judaism, and you know, this was—I uh, was born. So you're, so you're Jewish. Oh yeah.
1: I want you want to clarify that because yeah. I don't think a lot of people know that. Yeah.
0: Oh, yes, I am Jewish. And as I say, I went to religious school as a kid. I was confirmed I was a in the reform branch of Judaism. So we don't do you know, we don't learn Hebrew. We don't um, uh, you know, we don't practice kosher, um, you know, habits and stuff like that. Um, My grandparents were extremely religious. And, you know,
1: where did they come from?
0: They were from, I think, what is uh, Poland today. And. All of my grandparents, you know, on on both sides had fled the pogroms. Uh, They were small children, but their parents, let's see, actually, they were, they came over as young children, and their families were threatened. And at that time, young children were being recruited into the Russian army, and that's how... You know, that's one of the ways that the pogroms were practiced is that your kids would be basically killed, you know, uh, sent off to fight at age five, six and seven. You know, it was it was horrible. And that was part of, uh, you know, sort of the instability of Europe throughout the uh, 1800s and uh, going into the 1900s, where there was a lot of turnover and there was a huge epidemic of anti-Semitism. So that is real and traumatizing, and I'm sympathetic to that trauma, but I also grew up with the with the um, conviction that the Holocaust and genocide would not happen again, and to look at actually the facts on the ground, you know, that 21,000 Palestinians have died in the air campaign and the ground campaign that right at the outset um there was a complete shutdown of food water fuel electricity and medical care so you had these deadly conditions that were imposed on civilians um you know the uh the initial attack by hamas i am not Uh, Put it this way. I. um, I support international law and I don't sanction attacks on civilians. On the other hand, I understand that this was inevitable and this is what happens when people are kept in prison and, you know, denied everything, basically, you know, administered food through an eyedropper, have their water supply essentially stolen out from under them. I mean, you drive people crazy and you will have slave revolt, which were very violent uh, back in the- uh, of course, I
1: mean, as long as you maintain the oppression, you're gonna get resistance. So if you wanna stop the resistance, if you wanna prevent resistance, then end the oppression, it's actually a very very simple equation.
0: It is very simple. And I think it's really important to view this from 20,000 feet above, you know, there's a very simple solution here you have essentially um you know uh a state that was founded with a uh a- an ethnic cleansing uh paradigm and 750 palestinians were basically driven from their homes 10,000s were killed how many yeah. sorry
1: 750,000 you meant yeah
0: yes what did i say sorry
1: 150 <laughs>
0: oh okay yeah no a thousand and there were tens of thousands who were killed in massacres even before the nakba yeah. i mean so this had a very violent beginning from people who were traumatized just like hamas is traumatized the jews were traumatized in coming over you know yeah. uh shortly after the holocaust there were a lot of traumatized people come, you know walking around here in the founding of israel and because you have been genocided doesn't give you the right then to practice ethnic cleansing, which leads to genocide. Ethnic cleansing is extremely dangerous. And that's where genocide occurs. That's a whole discussion unto itself. But ethnic cleansing is about as bad. It's not like there's some hierarchy. It's all like well, they're, they're, they're connected.
1: You can't separate one from the other, because the, if you're going to if you're going to embark on a campaign of ethnic cleansing, there will be people who refuse and you're going to end up killing them.
0: That's so right.
1: don't even know. I don't think there's actually yeah. a actual number of how many thousands were killed in 1948 during the Nakba, how many thousands of Palestinians, because they're still uncovering new graves and, and stories are still new stories are coming up. Of That's
0: right. And and when you are um, denying people food and water and medical care and you're destroying their hospitals and their healthcare centers and their homes and they're out living on the street and there's no water, there's no sanitation. I mean, how are people changing their baby's diapers? You know, I mean, it's just like unthinkable how families are surviving right now. Not to mention, I mean, the conditions are so dramatic. It sort of overwhelms the whole, you know, Hamas story. And then if you look beforehand, there was the same thing going on in a slightly, you know, in a kind of an ebb and flow fashion. But it was, you know, horrific from the start, that doesn't say that it wasn't horrific also for the Jews who were fleeing. Some were fleeing, some were not. but you know it's like Gandhi's um, saying that if we practice an eye for an eye, soon the world will be blind. And having been genocided doesn't give you the right then to practice genocide on others, you know and and this is why we need to invoke international law here. We don't have to invent the solution. This is about requiring all parties on all sides to comply with international law. That means no ethnic cleansing, no displacement, no destroying people's homes, no using starvation as a weapon. And by the way, a quarter of a million people were starving as of you know, 10 days ago. The numbers are certainly much greater right now and infectious diseases are breaking out as well. This is a setup, and this is one of those conditions in which ethnic cleansing will spill over. Whether people refuse or not, people are going to start dying. They could start dying by the hundreds of thousands uh, any day now, and we can't say when that will be because they're in such- Candidates
1: and members of the administration and candidates for president are encouraging, are encouraging this ethnic cleansing and the the pushing out of, of Palestinians out of Palestine again.
0: Exactly, which is why this is a political issue, and there is a political solution. Um, the actual solution to this problem is very simple. Comply with international law. And the United States has the power to um, ensure that Israel complies, because we are providing the bombs. We are providing these 2,000-pound bombs that are just slaughtering people by the hundreds Um you know, that are being dropped on refugee camps. I mean, it's just staggering. The U.S. is supplying the munitions, the bombs, the F-16s that are dropping them, uh, you know, and we are providing the diplomatic cover in the United Nations. Uh We are vetoing the... Uh, the consensus of the entire world community, with the exception of us in Israel and one or two other hangers-on, but there are regularly 150 to 170 uh, countries of the world who are saying, oh my God, you can't do this. Even our European allies have now um, stopped giving cover to us in Israel. This is us in Israel, and we can stop this in the blink of an eye. And that's why, you know, this is another reason why Don't let the propaganda of the Democrats who are telling you, oh, you're powerless, you have to vote for us, and by the way, you have to vote for genocide, and silence yourself if you want to object to that. Forget that, you know, because what we do in Gaza, we're going to do everywhere, you know, and Gaza is really a, um, it's kind of a microcosm of what's wrong with an imperial approach to foreign policy. This is unbelievably abusive, as Many authors have said, and and the uh, the authorities and the academics in genocide, what they say is that genocide is the product of certain conditions, and there but for uh, the grace of God go you and I. That this is essentially kind of uh, a human condition. Chris Hedges just did a beautiful couple articles about this, about how this is the product of certain conditions where one group has power and the other has none. And then the group with the power gets into its head that it is a victim and it's very insecure and it strikes back. And there are certain kinds of predictable conditions which are all being fulfilled right now. And they can be stopped. As much as this is predictable how to start it, it's also predictable how to stop it. And we can stop it. International law allows us to do this. And thank goodness that South Africa has just now brought this issue To the um, International Court of Justice, which has the authority to rule on it. The problem, and to find our leaders, not only Netanyahu, but Joe Biden and the heads, you know, uh, Anthony Blinken, and perhaps the people in Congress as well, to be complicit and essentially, you know, uh, war criminals, worse than war criminals. These are practitioners of genocide, and they should be convicted. And and punished for it, they should be held accountable. And if we're going to do that, um, we'll put it this way: we can avoid that, and uh, our misleaders can avoid allowing this to spill over into genocide. You know, it's like uh, I, as a medical doctor, I'm watching this knowing that we are on a death watch right now for 2.2 million people. And it's just, it may be hours, it may be days. If we're lucky, it may be a week or two or three, but we are on a death watch. And there are hundreds of thousands of people who are going to start falling like flies. In fact, they already are. There's some 300,000 right now who already have contagious infectious diseases, which could spiral out of control because they're all being jammed into this tiny little area and they don't have uh, adequate sleeping quarters. You know they don't have a, a, a they don't have a blanket or a pillow to rest their heads on. I mean they're being uh, essentially tortured every day. is is really a tortured form of existence right now, especially for children. You know who are just completely freaked out. How do you comfort a child? You know who's been bloodied and battered and soiled in their own clothes and has no place to change or to wash. I mean, these are just like unthinkable barbaric conditions. And it doesn't matter how sympathetic you are to Israel. When you see what's going on here, it is impossible. You know, it is impossible unless your heart has actually gone stone cold dead, you know, and your soul has disappeared. You know, you can't help but recognize just the desperate human conditions that are being inflicted now on innocent civilians and children especially. So this is like the ultimate um, uh, expression of what's wrong with empire and raw militarism that can tip over uh, into genocide when the conditions apply. And we have to stop that. We can stop that and you can stop it. Everyone who's listening and watching can stop this We're going to be circulating a pledge soon uh, to voters to to say we are going to deny our support, withhold our support and not give our support to genocidal candidates. And that's Biden and Trump. And most of the others, with the exception of those three that I named before, myself Uh, Dr. West and Claudia de la Cruz. We are the only candidates that are opposing genocide. And so this is not just being done for one campaign or another. We're suggesting this, and we hope to get Dr. West and, um, and Claudia de la Cruz to both sign on to this and for us to help promote this as you know, as an act of collective humanity to say, we've got to stand up and say, we are done with genocide and we are done with all of the candidates and the elected officials who support it. We need a complete overhaul and, uh, of our political system.
1: Thank you so much for that. We have to finish now, we could talk on forever, but thank you so much for your time, uh, uh, Jill. It's been a pleasure talking to you, this is inspiring. I
0: sign 2024.org that's where you can find out about this pledge to push the envelope politically and use your political power to I'll put in 2024.org that's right yes right. Uh, or thank dot com
1: so or I dot com. close i gotta close now coming up right after this is soul conversations i'm Miko pellet thank you for joining uh the Miko pellet hour and thank you Jill Stein for your for your, for your wonderful comments and for this interview.
0: Thank you so much Miko. You're always you're always an inspiration.